Want to at me next time? <laughs> Why don't I at you next time? Welcome to South Jersey Girls. I'm Klein Aliardi. I'm Jane Feld. I'm Elise Notariani. And I'm Marianne Aliardi. This week, we have part two of our conversation about news, plus the second part of Elise's interview with Fox 29 anchor Shana Humphreys. So make sure you listen to part one of the episode from last week. I feel like that's a word that just turns people off. Ooh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about buzzwords. We think about that a lot. Yeah, because I think something that comes with the 24-hour news cycle and getting all of your information on social media is that competition to get people to click on your thing. Like breaking news? Not even, like breaking news, yes, but then also the days after breaking news. Like you want... No. If you, if you watch CNN, every five minutes, Wolf Blitzer would say, breaking news, some breaking news in today. And it was exactly oh. what he had just talked about. I don't, it was almost like, I felt like he was a joke. Like he was like, yeah. Yeah, breaking news again. It's true. When I hear the word breaking news in my head, I hear Wolf Blitzer's voice. <laughs> that is accurate. But no, I'm talking more about like clickbait. Which um, ones that will get people in or like turn people off? Well, if you say the word privilege, a lot of people won't click it. So two years ago, I would have said clickbait as in you're trying to get people to click. And now I'm thinking about like clickbait as in like words that automatically people don't care what you're saying, that you just, they're not going to listen to anything that you say because you said that word. You used that oh. word. And so that means you're this kind of person. Oh, you mean like defund the police. That is. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right. And on right. the other I don't want to read anything that's using the word snowflake. Yeah. Because you are. Right. No. I don't Come think Thank you. Appreciate that. My dad thinks I am, but that's okay. He's my yeah. dad. That's something that we are aware of a lot when we write things for the magazine, because every once in a while we have a story that we ha- has a really good message and we really want people to read it. But if we have like one word in the headline that or in the subhead that they don't want to read, they're not going to make it to, to what we want to say. That is so true. So glad we got that through to you, Elise. Oh gosh. I know. Yeah, you, yeah, you got that through to me. I promise. Oh. Maybe. I know that I understand the theory of it. The practice is still why I have editors. I don't know about you all, but like I, that, I live my life that way now where just when I'm talking, I try not to say certain words because I know it will, it will take away from whatever I'm talking about. Like whatever my point is, I want to make sure that it, it's almost, it's, it's like neutral speak kind of in a way. You just, you just created a term. <laughs> neutral speak sounds like something that would be in 1984 i was just thinking that yeah Yeah. because you know why because you're just like me and your thoughts are all just mine um there's a part of me that thinks that sucks because it's like why am i spending so much effort in what i'm talking but there's another part of me that's kind of like it makes me a lot more aware of what i'm saying in a way so like i won't get because i i i've been in conversations before where I'll be talking and then all of a sudden I've said like 800 different things and it happened in like three seconds and I don't even remember what I said. So that's not great. <laughs> so it, it lets me like avoid that, but I don't know. But I also don't want to just talk to people whose views are like mine. Right. And you're oh. not going to be able to do that if you're turning everyone off. Speaking of facts on social media though, that's another thing that's weird that I remember learning about in school, in college, people reporting when they weren't even tied to a, to any sort of station or publication and not, not even like a freelance type thing. Like 
I, we read a story about some kid who was like, I want to be a reporter. So I'm going to go to Syria on my own and just mm. like wander around and then tell Whoa. the story. And he sold the story. And it was, yeah, you know, who thing. did that? You know, who got his start that way? Anderson Cooper. There you go. Because he had the money to do that. Well, yeah. Right. No, this was just a kid. Like he flew to Turkey. Yeah. yeah well, that's amazing. And like oh, hitched a ride. Well, you know, what's scary about that though. There, there are probably some legit people with journalism backgrounds or journalism students who go and do that and they do it well. But then you have people who just, oh, you know, I'm a really good writer. I think I could be a reporter. And then they go somewhere and they post it on their blog. And there you have it. They're now a news reporter. Right. And they don't understand what all it takes to be a news reporter. Right. right. And so that's, frustrating. that kills our credibility. Because. Yeah. Because then, yeah, then you're looking at all these different sources and trying to figure out what's, what's the good one. Susan from down the street who thinks she can write. And who's not actually che- checking any of her facts. Yeah. Not just checking her facts. I mean, do you, did you guys learn that you need to, you always need two sources? To, yes. If you're going to report a fact. Yeah. And I didn't do, I haven't done any of the hard news reporting that like Jane has done at, at the newspapers, but even like the amount that I had to learn about journalism by going to journalism school, like I, sh- I feel like I should have known that as just a person consuming the news. I should know what goes into this. I should know what makes an ethical opinion piece. Um, and, and I should know how to see bias. I should know this stuff. When I was a reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer and at the, the Westchester papers, my reputation was based on my, how I got facts and, and people trusted me and talked to me. And it's so much harder nowadays, or I imagine it is, to do those jobs because people don't trust that you're on the level and that this is facts. And they don't trust you because other people have a voice and they can put it out there. So their work now is right next to yours. Right. So I mean, how do people know? I remember every once in a while, people would be a little reluctant to talk to me or I'd have to work on them because they had a bad experience with maybe a reporter. But on the whole, people like took at face value that we were going to tell the truth. Yeah, not so much anymore. But it's hard to talk about this between us too because like we're all kind of preaching to the choir. We know the work that goes into everything that we do and everything that we report and the, the work that goes into, you know, anchors and, and all that. But I, I don't know. I don't know how to convey that to other people. Yeah. But I will say, I think we, we've said a lot of bad things about people who necessarily, who aren't necessarily part of like big networks coming in and, and being able to report on things. But I think a lot of good has come from that too. I, I'm people who are like trained to do it well, but um, like all of the reporting podcasts that we have, um, I just listened to one with, a young reporter named Nor Tagori, and it was about um, sex trafficking in the United States. It was so interesting, and she did such a great job. And I don't know that she's with a huge outlet. She might be, but, um, you know, like, uh, things like that. Like, we can all, like... But they- that person, she had to have some training in journalism. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, I, you don't even have to have, like, what's that adjective that I'm looking for? Traditional, I guess. You don't even have to have traditional training. Like, you just need to be aware of the things that are important for oh. journalists to do reporting. Like you just need to know that you actually do have to check your facts and like not spell things wrong, I guess. And I don't want to say she's not a journalist because she is. Right. Important. Right. Like, I, yeah, like I don't have an issue for people who just start their own thing. That's fine. I think there, but I think there are a lot of people who 
don't think it is important to spell things right. And if they get something yeah. a little wrong, uh, none of that is correct. You can't spell people's names wrong. I think if you, I think you if- at me next time? Hmm? Want to at me next time? What? One of the, do you know what that phrase means? At you? Yeah. No, I have no idea. At me, well, like you send. Yeah. Yeah, like when you send a, when you at somebody on Twitter, like at Klein, yeah. that's when you get a notification, I'm talking about He's, her. Sorry, yeah. I use this phrase a lot. I should probably explain it at some point. Yeah. Yeah. What oh, we, so what did you just use it for? Yeah. Um, you're saying, you know, it's really important to always, if you're a journalist, always spell names right. And I am notorious for my first draft having something spelled wrong, like notorious for it. She thought you were calling her out. <laughs> so, so you said, is that at me? Yeah. Why don't you at me next time? <laughs> why don't I at you next time? Like on Twitter. I still don't know what that means. When it you said, do you remember? Do you remember when we talked about subtweeting? Do you remember that conversation about what subtweeting is? No. Oh, okay. Never mind. No. I'm out. I know what it means to at someone. Do, uh-huh. Send a message, right? I just don't get. No, not send a message. Tag what? them. Yeah. Okay. So they'll see it. So, so the reason that I would say it in this situation is if right. you're saying something that very, that very much applies to me. And I know you weren't referring to me. I know that. Yeah, I, was, I had no idea that that was a thing. <laughs> I get the first draft. But, but like, if you say something that could apply, I could be like, Oh, at me next time. Cause I know that that's, that's me. Sometimes yeah, like you, you just explained like millennial humor to her. Like it was, that wasn't even, you had to explain uh, vocabulary you like had to explain the joke yeah, these yeah. grow up on tiktok there's your sense of humor you're not tiktok hasn't haven't grown up on tumblr tumblr really messed with the sense of humor oh yeah but that's a, that's another uh conversation i wasn't on tumblr what is tumblr? but i'm fluent in tumblr what's tumblr tumblr was like a um a cross between a blog and a, a mood board Instagram and a twitter tumblr had like the people on there had a really weird sense of humor that like just wasn't funny to anybody who wasn't so entrenched in it mostly because you were scrolling it at like three in the morning <laughs> um but it just ruined all of our sense of humor it's another conversation hmm. wow so last week I spoke with Fox 29 anchor Shayna Humphreys about Twitter trolls and the future of social media, but we also talked about so much more than we could fit into one episode. So you're about to hear the rest of our talk. There was a time that it, we were told absolutely like a reporter cannot share their opinion on anything ever anywhere public. Um, and that's changing a lot. And, and I've seen your Twitter. Most of it is just reporting the facts, but there are times when you do share your opinion on something. What do you see that change in the media like, not only for you, but for other journalists right now? Yeah, I, I do get bothered when people suggest that neutrality is gone from news because it's not. You know, I've been in all kinds of newsrooms, different sizes, different parts of this country, and the vast majority of people who work in news um, and actual news, I'm not speaking for anyone who works for any sort of opinion program on any network. I can't speak to that. But most are, are are good people just trying to do a good job. We, we've been educated on this very topic. We know what a reliable source is compared to an unreliable source, and we know how, how to fact check. But one of the, the problems and a, a lazy sort of habit that I think many of us, that in the industry as a whole got into, uh, was this both sidesism journalism, which it has the appearance of neutrality and you're saying side A says this, side B says this, you make up your mind. And it's like, that's not really journalism. Um, I had a, a colleague say once, a, a, I don't know who initially 
coined this phrase, but they say, as a journalist, if side A says it's raining outside and side B says it's sunny outside, it's not your job to just explain side A says rain, side B says sun. It's your job to stick your head out the window, find out if it's raining, and then tell people which one is true. Um, so I think most journalists do do a good job and do try their hardest to do that. Uh, we've also gotten into this moment in history lately where I don't know. I don't feel like it's a it's a it's a matter of of picking a side. I, I think you know when you're talking about things like white supremacy, when you're talking about things like racism, uh, it can be a fine line sometimes. But there are certain things where there is no there there isn't another reasonable side that deserves equal weight and and conversation. Um, so I, I think sometimes if you start to see my opinions, my personal opinions on social media, it has to do with more of that things that are just blatantly patently wrong. It's not a matter of opinion. And another part of it is, you know, when we're talking about race, we're talking about uh, gender, we're talking about a lot of things, you know, I'm a, a woman of color, a black woman working in media. So like, obviously, <laughs> you know, if the argument is the media is the enemy of the people, like I'm going to say it's not, <laughs> you know, I don't think that's a controversial opinion. I don't think it's really up for debate. I think that's a false statement. Yeah. So uh, you started your career in Iowa and I know you reported on uh, Trump's first presidential uh, campaign to the Iowa caucus and mm -hmm. reporting has changed so much since then. What has that looked like for you over the past couple of years? You know, I actually interviewed President Trump long before he even declared he would run for president while I was working in Iowa. Uh, you, you know, you spend so much time talking to politicians there because of the caucuses. And, you know, at the time it was this, it was almost kind of a not a not a silly story, but it, at the time, the the rumors that he might run were still not even being taken seriously at that point. Um, so it was just such a different environment, and to to see that start to change, and to see uh, his rise through the GOP from that Iowa perspective, and then moving to Philadelphia right in the middle of it, which in so many ways is the polar opposite <laughs> of Iowa. So it's been it's been interesting to to see not only our country, uh, the makeup of our country change, but just the response um, on social media, how people interact with each other. And, you know, we were polarized back then. I'm not gonna act like polarization started in the past year or even few years, but I, I've seen that steadily shift and it, you can really see it in reactions from viewers, whether it be on social media or when you're out interviewing in the field. Um, and it's just, it's been a wild ride. I never imagined this much breaking news this often, you know, we, we, so some of us in the news, we, we love breaking news. Not that you love when crazy things are happening, but you do, you like the adrenaline rush that you get while you're covering these things. And at this point, I think everyone's nervous systems are just shot because it's, you know, a normal day is, is abnormal at this point. Yeah. We're sick of living through like once in a lifetime crises every day. <laughs> yeah. And you've been really outspoken um, lately about, about your race and about uh, representation in the media. You actually, the first thing that started was you talking about wearing your natural hair on, on air. Uh, what inspired that? This whole hair journey of mine started a couple of years ago. And I mean, I mean, part of it was just being so tired of, of all that it takes to fit into this traditional beauty standard. Um, I've spent my whole life straightening my hair. You know, I have a white mother who had perfectly straight hair. Um, I was always kind of the odd man out in school. You know, I, yeah, they, I went to, I went to a variety of schools. Some were pretty diverse, but you're, you're kind of always the odd man out when you're biracial. You're, you're like a minority within the minorities. So 
I, I, I didn't really understand how to do my hair. I had a mother who didn't understand how to do my hair. So it was just constantly, there was so much shame involved. I just wanted to cover it and hide it. And a big part of it was really not even about, about beauty and about feeling attractive. While that is a, a big point, there's, there's a certain pressure and it, and it felt unfair to me that I have to spend so much of my life hiding and destroying my own hair. And if I'm, you know, when I was a little kid, I remember being so jealous and being fixated on the fact that, you know, my friends and like my mom, you know, people with straight hair could jump in a pool and then just continue on with their day. <laughs> you know, they could be outside and it could start raining and they could keep playing outside. And I always felt like I had this penalty because I had to run and hide and I was so ashamed. And I don't know, you just get older, you get to a certain point and you start to see you, that that foundation starts to crack and you start to see the problem and, and the, the, the self shame and the identity issues that led to that. And it was just slowly but surely, I started thinking, you know, maybe my hair is not the worst and not meant to be hidden all the time. Maybe I can actually learn uh, how to make it work for me. So I started being really open about it. I, for me, the way to do that was to, to start wearing a wig to work, which it took me maybe over a year of just like kind of pondering about that because there's a lot of shame with that too. You feel like you're hiding and it's a big secret. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't even really put that much forethought into it. I just kind of ended up being very open with it because I didn't like the feeling of, of feeling like I needed to have something to feel shame over and to hide from. So I started posting on social media explaining that first my, when I'm wearing my hair straight on the air that it is a wig. And I explained that because I think so many people who follow me, I know they, they reach out to me, they're going through something similar and they're trying to embrace their natural hair, which I love. And one of the main ways to embrace your natural hair is to not continually destroy it with heat and dangerous chemicals. So I wanted that to be clear that, you know, you can't just be constantly doing this and then also have healthy natural hair. So I've just been trying to be open about, about the whole process and yeah, it's about, it's about beauty, it's about health, it's uh, self-love. You know, I used to put treatments in my hair that had formaldehyde in them. You know, I, like I, I'm an intelligent person, you know, like we all are. And yet for, for generations, we've gone through these insane things that, and actually put ourselves at risk all to fit into a standard because for the longest time, you know, you never saw anyone who looked like you doing the things you wanted to do. So you just tried to look like those people as much as possible so that you could play that part. Um, so I'm just trying to join the many people who have already started this, this movement of embracing their natural hair and, and rejecting the idea that a European centric beauty standard is the only one allowed. And I think what's so interesting about that is like, yes, we can obviously see that it does empower black women or women of color to embrace their natural beauty, but it is also a good message for people who aren't of color. Um, I know probably a year ago, I would have said, you know, I have the privilege to, not have to worry about my race when it comes to reporting, when it comes to my job, when it comes to the media. But now after seeing all the, the BLM, BLM protests, after seeing the kind of reckoning the media has gone through, I can't, I, I can maybe say that, but really it's more, I know that now I have a responsibility to be very aware of my race and that I am white and how I can use that um, in a position that I'm privileged to have to bring in people of color or to bring in more representation into uh, what I cover and how I cover it. And people like you who are talking about, even if it just seems like your hair, um, is really influential in that. Um, at least it has. Yeah. Well, thank you. And and I think that's so important what you said about recognizing your own privilege. I tried to point out my own as well, because I, I think there's, it's such a loaded term to so many people and, and people feel attacked. They get on the defensive when, you, when they hear that they have privilege, they 
to them, they hear you've had an easy life. You've never had to work for anything and you should just never complain about anything. And like, that's not what it means. So for me, it's important as a biracial woman to point out my own privilege that I do have. Um, you know, I, I, I am also on the opposite end of that. There is discrimination that affects me too, but I also benefit from a certain level of privilege. We all do. And I think it's so important. And I think people are, are, are recognizing that we all need to recognize our own personal level of privilege or lack thereof and, um, and see what we can do to remedy any, any negative effects of it. I, I don't think it's, it's saying you're, you're a bad person. No, it, it's saying you've gotten to where you are in life with a certain set of circumstances. It probably would have been much harder for you to do that had it been a different set of circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. And um, good luck with whatever is going to come in the news in the next 30 seconds. Yes, good luck to you too. Thanks, Elise. Thanks again to Shana Humphreys. Did you tell Shana to at you? No, but I'm really glad that you know what it means now. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Exactly, maybe. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button because we have new episodes every Tuesday. And don't forget to at me. And, and tell us what you want to hear. Don't at me. Send us an email to info at SJ Magazine with any topics you'd like to see us talk about. See you next week. Bye. Bye.